Hello, and welcome to episode 125 of Random Encounter, the RPG Fan Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Steinman, Pale Robbie on the boards. Joining me today is Derek, I hate Mass Effect, Andromeda Heemsbergen. You're always going for the hateful stuff. I was going to say I should be Derek Cup Noodle Heemsbergen because I played episode Gladio, and there was Cup Noodle in that, uh, just as one would expect. Is everything still so lovingly rendered on uh, Final Fantasy XV in terms of food products? Uh, yeah, I mean, you can see, like, the side of the cup, but what is lovingly rendered are Gladio's abs, because you can uh, get a shirtless costume for him by completing the DLC. Ooh, excellent, excellent. I'm sorry, he's not, he's already not shirtless, because he's pretty shirtless as it is. Oh, it's, like, full shirtless this time, which I'm surprised he shaves, you guys. Would you expect that? I wouldn't expect that. Who, Gladio? Oh, totally. Yeah, come on, come on, man. All right. Like, of course he does. Maybe that's just me. Maybe that's just me. Uh, <laughs> then we also have uh, Caitlin. I wish I was playing Persona Five. He- uh, Argyros. I almost said he's right. I almost said <laughs> he's right. married. I uh, maybe <laughs> that would be news for everybody. I think. <laughs> yeah, it would. <laughs> hey, Caitlin, how you doing? Caitlin, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm I'm good. Um, I'm trying to imagine what crazy universe that would be. Maybe in Andromeda? I don't know. Yeah, well, if we have to go into deep space, then procreation is the uh, objective there, right? I did make my, uh, my, my Scott, my, my, my writer's brother a super hot, you know, looker. Like, you know, maybe, maybe your writer and my, my writer's brother could, could hook up. I don't know. So it could be family, at least, in laws. Yeah. Okay, got it. Oh boy. Oh boy. That would be kind of now now wait, if you were traveling into deep space and you were trying to procreate for the species, would there be like a questionnaire of like I, 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 please guys, I'm not like don't read into my politics on this at all, but it's like do you think that would be part of the questionnaire? It's like, oh yeah, you well, have I think to be it's straight in order to No, I think it would just be do you want to have a child? Because you can be gay and have a child, right? Like, but you cannot produce a child. Well, oh, no, I guess if you, you can. can. Yeah, like, if you doing, well, no, okay. If you had a lesbian couple, you could do in vitro. You could do. Okay, all right. So, so we have you, to take. So we you would think have that to, I wouldn't like if I was going on a mission into deep space. You think I wouldn't like, <laughs> you know, take one for the team, as it were, and I have just, a child if I had to. Just, just find an Asari. They can help you. Have right. Also, they have like deep space technology. Man, they can just extract my. I'm just spitballing here, all right? We're having a conversation. I'm trying to think this stuff through. These are important questions. Mm -hmm. I have no idea what's going on. Okay, so Mass Effect Andromeda came out, right? Right, it sure uh, did. And I I, I don't want to say the internet is... I think hate is a strong word, but I think there's a little bit of... A little bit of... There's anger? hyperbole happening. I, I think I, I think hyperbole is a very good word for it. I also think that there's a lot of criticism being leveled at this game. And as an outside observer, you know, somebody that pl- only played Mass Effect two and three, I, I read the story on one, but I didn't like the way it played. And you know, I, I'm in the camp that thinks that Mass Effect 3's story was pretty terrible at the end, but like the gameplay was still fun. I guess I was looking at Andromeda as being more gameplay and. I kind of get this feeling like Andromeda is getting some of the Mass Effect 3 hate that didn't happen. Like the, the retroactive Mass Effect 3 hate where people, you know, c- kind of like how we talked about on the last episode about Zelda. Like, oh, it, there's the Zelda cycle of like, oh, yeah, this is the best Zelda. Yeah, go ahead, we Derek. Just had you, the, we had this discussion. Yeah. Right. We had this discussion about um, people's feelings from previous games in that series sort of carrying over and blending into how they feel about the new one, even though it's mm-hmm. separated. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think that some of that sentiment is coming through. And I also think that, um, I think, I don't remember if it was Robert Fenner who wrote something about this recently, but there's, 
I I know that sometimes I am susceptible to the groupthink that happens in the video game sort of community. I think that sometimes I don't think it's very very hard to become free from it. You can become aware of it and do your best to combat it. But I think that it is easy to get swept up into a conversation or kind of a narrative that is created around a certain game's release. Like when everybody is saying so, like you know Zelda Breath of the Wild is the best game ever or whatever, it's going to be. It's it's easier to be like, oh, you know what? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it is. But it's all it also means that dissent is seen as like some kind of weird revolutionary action where you're just trying to get attention for disagreeing, which isn't mm-hmm. necessarily the case, and it is in fact rarely the case. But mm-hmm. with Mass Effect Andromeda, I think that people saw stuff like the the janky animations, um, and and they just kind of latched onto that. And then there was that whole fiasco with people attacking that supposedly that the animator who doesn't even do that job within BioWare. Yeah, that was wonderful. Yeah. That yeah. Was- um, so I think people latch on to those sort of ideas and they're like, yeah, rawr, and it becomes this mob mentality where everybody wants to crap on it. When in, in, I mean, it's like, if you really think about it, are the animations crappy? Yeah. Are they, could they have done better? Yeah. Like, did it ruin my entire life? No. I mean, uh, so when you look at stuff like Mass Effect Andromeda getting sort of a lower score average than previous Mass Effect games in the series. It's not necessarily that the game is utter trash. I just think that there are more things to criticize in the game. And I scored it, I I reviewed it for RPG Fan, I scored it a 78 because the current state of gaming journalism is that, like, anything below a 5 is basically considered utter garbage, you know. And I don't don't necessarily agree with that, but it's just the reality of how scores work right now, and if we're going to continue with the scoring system, I don't know. So I realize that I play a part in all that, so... I tried to give it what I thought was a fair score. A 78 to me doesn't mean that I had a terrible time playing it. It means that I had a pretty good time playing it. And in fact, I can recommend the game to some people, but there are issues that need to be criticized and pointed out, you know, like 78 doesn't mean shit. It really doesn't. So Mm -hmm. I think everybody needs to chill out about this whole narrative that they created with, well, Mass Effect's animations are bad and they just didn't even try. And oh my God, it's the worst thing ever. Like, it's really not the worst thing ever, you guys. It's just flawed. And we can talk about that. Yeah, and I, I think that there's a little bit of, um, for me, as somebody who was playing Zelda after all the reviews went out, just to go back to our Zelda conversation from last week, for me, I, it was kind of the opposite, where I was seeing a lot of flaws or a lot of things that were really annoying me, and I started going, is something wrong with me? Like, a- am I the only one seeing these flaws? Like, it actually, like, the group thing started to work the other way. Like, wait, why am I not digging this? Why is this a problem for me? And I, I don't really have an answer for that. I'm not really sure why that was happening. But, you know, I, I think Robert was correct and Derek, you were also correct on the last podcast saying, you know, a 10 does not mean a perfect game. But for me, somebody that's kind of a gameplay oriented person, you know, I, I tend to kind of focus on gameplay flaws and they can really annoy me. And what I saw a lot of in Zelda reviews was, oh, yeah, you know, the uh, the weapon degradation kind of sucks, but, you know, it didn't really hurt my enjoyment of the game. And meanwhile, I'm sitting here going, well, it, it certainly did for me. Like, it really hurt my enjoyment of the game. So I think it's it's because tough. You don't, you don't want to get caught into the group thing, but at the same time, you do want to have your own opinion that isn't uh, influenced in the opposite effect because of right. other people's. And that's why review scores can be so contentious, because you know, a score doesn't give you, doesn't encompass the full experience that a person has playing a game. And as we've said many times, every game review is subjective because every experience a person has with a game is subjective, whether you're reviewing it or not. But when you see something like a 10, I think, I think, you know, higher score is just sort of a general barometer of, of 
quality and then you can sort of dissect the the smaller bits as you get in closer because you know the 10 isn't perfect and uh there are many games that i would if i had to score them i would score them much lower than a 10 but i still felt like they were some of the best games i had ever played because they just suited my tastes the best and something like the weapon degradation is i i beat breath of the wild recently and I didn't really have too much of a problem with weapon degradation because I it's it's annoying. Yes, I I don't like it, and I think that it shouldn't necessarily be a game mechanic. But it never broke the experience for me because I never had a, a point where I was like running out of weapons or you know had no way to fight back. And I can see where if you got into that situation, that would really sour the entire game for you. And Rob, I think that you know you had bad experiences with that, and for you, that matters more than it would to some people. Necessarily. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, I I agree and. You know, I don't really – with Mass Effect, I'm kind of staying out of this one because I, I have not played the new game. I, I really have no desire because there's so many other games to play. So, uh, you know, Nier is still on my bucket list over here. So uh, I'm kind of staying out of this a little bit. But what I see is a game that everybody seems to agree that combat's really good. And, Caitlin, you were saying that a little bit before uh, the pre-show that you're having a lot of fun playing this game. It's it's maybe the yeah. storytelling that people are a little upset about. Uh, well, I've certainly seen a lot of people complain about the the writing and that this that a lot of people think that the storytelling is weaker than the original trilogy. But then you know you this is one of those things where it's going to come down to individual opinion and what you are looking for in the game and what you, you know, your personal tastes. And I think um, it's it's going to be hard to say definitively that the, it, it sucks compared to the original trilogy or that it's bad because it's, and it's you know, it's subjective. Thus far, I'm satisfied. It's a different vibe than the original trilogy. It doesn't have quite the same uh, sort of, uh, uh, feeling to it because you don't have necessarily the same sort of uh, um, a threat, I guess, um, that you're facing. It's not the same kind of um, enemy that you're, you're dealing with. Um, it, there's a bit more of a lighthearted feeling to it. You're you're more exploring this new galaxy and making friends and trying to survive than necessarily uncovering an ancient evil and figuring out how to stop it. Although there is uh, there are, of course, bad guys, and you are trying to figure out what they're after and, and, and things like that. There are mysteries to solve, but it's kind of a different focus. And that's going to appeal to people in different ways. It's, um, you know, it's, like I said, it's different. It's a different kind of focus from the original trilogy. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, if you're looking for the same kind of feel as the Shepard trilogy, it may be a disappointment. But, I'm actually finding it just fine um, for me personally. I know I was talking to Derek uh, before release how I actually kind of thought that the focus of this game sort of being more on setting out to explore and find a new home kind of resonated with me uh, with uh, you know, the state of our, you know, like real world uh, space exploration, uh, the way <laughs> how we're kind of sort of, uh, fumbling about um, with our actual space exploration, you know, the the idea of uh, any real uh, meaningful space travel to a neighboring, uh, even just a neighboring star system, let alone a neighboring galaxy being a real time sink like that. And mm -hmm. the idea of needing to 
start over and actually try to find ways to survive, feeling a lot more, um, and I, I don't want to say realistic because, come on, it's a video game, it's Mass Effect, but that actually feels a little bit more closer to home than the way the original Mass Effect started out, where we had already essentially been jump-started into a galactic society, uh, where we'd already made first contact, we'd already uh, basically uh, push, been pushed into a galactic community uh, on the mm -hmm. Citadel, met other alien races. Uh, we were sort of the new people, but we'd already made a name for ourselves and we already knew the galaxy. Here, we've just arrived. We have, we don't know anything really about this, uh, the cluster we've arrived in. And in fact, that's part of the mystery is trying to figure out why the worlds that we, we thought were going to be perfect for us, why they're not that way and trying to make them habitable for, uh, for humanity, for, uh, the Milky Way races. And that's, there's a kind of, you know, uh, if that kind of, uh, tingles your sci-fi, uh, interest, that, you know, can be really fun. And then, yeah, the combat is a whole lot of fun. Um, they've, they've done a lot to open that up and make it so that you're no longer locked into a particular class like you were in the original trilogy. Instead, you just put points into any one of the three main branches, your combat branch, which used to be basically the soldier branch in the original trilogy, and then biotics and tech, and you can mix and match as you see fit, which opens up a lot of different possibilities, and you're no longer penalized if you pick one of those abilities and you suddenly say, eh, I don't really like this, I want to do something else, you can do that, and you can just start putting points into something else, so it, it opens up a lot of freedom. And I was saying before we started recording, I was never the kind of person who wanted to do the Vanguard tree, which is the um, the, the biotic uh, co uh, combat-oriented uh -huh. tree where you use a biotic charge to basically charge into an enemy and then, you know, do a lot of damage. It's a high-risk uh, skill where you can restore shields and do a lot of damage, but you're suddenly right in front of the enemy and you can you can die really fast if you're not careful. I was never the kind of person who would do that before, but I started playing with it here because I could, because I knew that I could just spec into some other skills if I didn't like it. And right, because it's great that, flexibility. Yeah. It, it allows you to really explore and try things out, and if you don't like it, then, hey, you're not penalized. You're not forced to play the rest of the game using those skills. And I found I really liked it, and so now I just... I'm running around with a shotgun and a sniper rifle and charge and uh, tactical cloaks so I can actually go long range or up in the enemy's face depending on situations. So it's a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Certainly seems I, like the combat's the, the fun part. Derek, were you enjoying that aspect of the game as much? I was. I like the jump jet a lot. I think it adds a good sense of verticality to combat. Um, and, it, and you can sort of more dynamically jump and hide behind cover, and uh, yeah, I, I found that I, I didn't tool around enough with other loadouts during my playthrough, so I think that I actually held myself back in a way, and that limited my enjoyment a little bit because I went pretty heavy on the tech stuff, and I felt like my turret never really did all that much. Um, but yeah, combat's fun, and I, I enjoyed playing the multiplayer. I did that a little bit, and it's 
uh, PVE, like co-op, so you have other people on your team and you're fighting, it's waves of enemies. It's just like Mass Effect 3s, basically. But I thought that was fun, too. I think the combat is strong enough to carry it, but um, my pro tip would be to switch up your loadout a lot more often than I did, and I... I think the game, it encourages you to pick sort of a specialization because they have the profiles, which are kind of like stances. And mm. so, like, if you put a lot of um, points into tech abilities, you'll get sort of the engineer profile. And anytime you have that activated, it's like a passive stance that gives you benefits to all of your tech stuff. Like, maybe your turret will be more durable or tech abilities will do more damage or whatever. So, those by switching one of those, it kind of encourages you to stick to a certain loadout. But... I think that there, you know, there are the similar to previous Mass Effects. There are the ones that are hybrids, like Vanguard. And I think the game is probably more fun if you stick to a hybrid profile and/or have a more hybrid skill set uh, or loadouts saved. Because if you stick to just one type, it can get kind of um, repetitive. But. Mm-hmm. but I think that's just that was my fault as a player that I didn't experiment enough. But I still think that I think that the system is more flexible as time, and it's better for it. Does this game set up a new Mass Effect trilogy? It could. Um, the Without spoiling anything, of course, the ending is kind of abrupt and just totally leaves the door open for anything else to happen at all. Hmm. So, I, I, of course, they could. I, I think I remember hearing that Bioware said they wanted to create more Mass Effect games in, this, in the Andromeda uh, cluster, but not necessarily focused on the writers. So I could see that. Because I feel like the writer's story is satisfactorily concluded at the end of the game. So, um. Do you guys feel, and, and this is not a loaded question, I'm not trying to walk you guys into a trap here or anything, but like, do you guys feel the way a lot of fans have been criticizing the game's story that it, it's kind of cheap that they set up you know, a couple wildly different ways that the, the Milky Way galaxy could have ended at the end of Mass Effect 3 and then they just moved us to another galaxy where they never have to touch on that. I think that's the only way they could have done it, really. Yeah. 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 No. I think um I think if they hadn't done that, if they had if they had kept this in the Milky Way, I think that would have exasperated the issues people had with the ending of Mass Effect Three because they would have they would have had to have uh, consolidated the endings of Mass Effect Three which would have made people feel like their choices had even less impact than they already right. did. Mm-hmm. That was that was probably the biggest complaint about Mass Effect 3's ending was that it, it ultimately felt like your choices came down to almost nothing. It came mm-hmm. down to, you know, came down to three colors, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So... Yeah, the only choices were a completely new location or something happening before the trilogy, really. And <laughs> right. this, is, this is essentially or, both. In, in or it could be like super, super far in the future in the Milky Way, but th- you would have to sort of, it would have to be far enough in the future that it's like a starting all over kind of vibe. Like, mm-hmm. well, you know, in the distant past, this happened and now everybody's a synthetic, but we don't even really think of that as being weird, but everything's back to being the same. Like, you know. Well, what's interesting, too, is that they've they've left themselves open for DLC that could potentially bring some elements of Mass Effect 3 into the game because there's at least one arc that is late uh, in arriving. I won't say which one for people who don't want to be spoiled, but there's they mention an arc that was late because they wanted to 
throw others, throw other people onto it. Mm-hmm. They could add that arc as DLC, and if that arc took off even a few years late in the timeline, it would have left either during the events of Mass Effect 3 or possibly after Mass Effect 3. Okay. So, so, so they could introduce sort of people who know what happened at the end yeah. and were affected by it? Yeah, so they could throw in some events of Mass Effect 3 and possibly give the players some maybe ability to control what those events are. I don't know. Okay. Huh. But it would be interesting. There's so it, when it you would start be like playing, a Dragon Age situation where you just select what ending happened kind of thing? Yeah, maybe. Okay. I mean, it depends on what they do and, and exactly when this arc was supposed to have left. But right. But the timing of it, I mean, because the, the original initiative was supposed to have left shortly uh, at some point between Mass Effect 2 and Mass Effect 3. So the timing of it is kind of... Eh. Gotcha. Gotcha. It would be nice because there are certain races missing in Andromeda that I would like to see. Yeah, and then, you know, one of the complaints levied against it is that the, you know, you go to an entirely new part of space and it's still basically bipedal humanoids in spacesuits, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that. I, I think it's maybe not lazy, but just like lacking in creativity. And they seem to, they really fall back on the same, um, the same type of uh, knee structure for all of their aliens. Did you, mm. you notice that, like the Turians the and the Solarians and the new, uh, the new friendly alien species, mm-hmm. uh, the race. Yeah, yeah. yeah, they they all walk the same way. I mean, like, what's what's up with that? Come on. You guys wanted it to be a little bit more alien, is what you're saying. It would have been nice. I, I mean, you I think, expect there to be humanoids, of course, but... Yeah. I think it's a fair criticism that the alien design in Andromeda isn't quite up to par with the original trilogy, so... But I think there are some things that Andromeda does very well. Like, uh, Caitlin says she liked the idea of the starting fresh angle, and I think that's really cool, too. And there are some seriously... I mean, even for the... The character models um, looking the way they do and not always being great. The environments are amazing. Mm, and some of yes. the plants, when you explore, you see all this lush alien foliage and the way that the the sun kind of crests over mountains and stuff is, um, it's beautiful. And it really does make you kind of want to explore. It's a shame that I find those places to be a little lacking in stuff to do. So there's not a lot of reason to explore or incentive. But an, unlike Zelda, I feel like I don't get quite enough out of exploration for me to go do it but it's still pretty and yeah i mean it's it's a pretty game from that perspective for sure i get mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of mass effect 1 vibes from this game there's a lot of specifically mass effect 1 not 2 or 3 but specifically mass effect 1 vibes from not just the planets but a lot of different elements of this game and but in and in kind of a good nostalgic way like I've been working on a planet that reminds me a lot of Novaria, specifically. Uh, I remember taking the Mako out in the frozen wastes of Novaria and one of the Uncharted worlds that was also a frozen hellhole. So, <laughs> yeah. And kind of the way that your squad mates follow you around nilly-willy and can't seem to find their way, you know, sometimes uh, and get get in your way, you know, when you're not, uh, when you don't have your guns out, kind of reminds me of Mass Effect 1 and, you know, other little other little things here and there. It's, it's a, I, I don't know. Um, 
people have uh, mentioned that it, it, you know, it kind of feels like more Mass Effect, and um, I think you know that's an interesting point because I think that can be a negative or a positive depending on uh, your point of view and maybe also depending on like the franchise. Like I think if someone said to me it's more Assassin's Creed, that would be like a no, thank you, I don't want that. That's that's mm-hmm. a no. But like you know, more Mass Effect is kind of that's almost all I think I'd kind of wanted from this game for it just to be more Mass Effect is is fine. I mean, like as long as it's not like horrible Mass Effect and it's not, I mean, it's got problems, mm-hmm. it has issues and I am also going to be interested to see what they say that they're going to do uh, to, to hopefully fix some of the issues uh, from a technical right. standpoint. Um, but it's, it's it is indeed more Mass Effect. So if that's what you're looking for, um, as long as you know you at least maybe temper your expectations a little bit, I think you will enjoy it. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. so too. And it sounds like the sense of wonder that you were just describing, Caitlin. The fact that like Mass Effect One, which I you know bounced right off of. Everybody talks about the sense of wonder and like going to the moon and that planet and how how amazing that was, and then Mass Effect two and three very much felt like Uncharted to me. Like they're, they're cover shooters, they are like that. They're the wonder is in the storytelling, but not in the exploration, if that makes sense. I mean, they are basically corridor shooters deep down, and they're yes. very they're very enjoyable corridor shooters. Like I had a lot more. F- I like the shooting in Mass Effect more than Uncharted. I know somewhere someone just got very angry with me, but like <laughs> that's how I honestly feel. I. I I found that to be very satisfying. I played as an Inquisitor the whole way through. Um, uh, Infiltrator. Sorry, I was doing Star Wars. Sorry, my fault. Um, but I really enjoyed it for that. And I think, you know, if Mass Effect Andromeda was going for that Dragon Age Inquisition sense of wonder in place, you know, even if they screwed some things up along the way, I think that's kind of what they were – that's the messaging they were hearing from a lot of fans, wasn't it? You know, like that's what people at least said they wanted. Yeah, and it's still so. – it's all right. It's okay. It is okay to not be perfect. Yes. It is okay. That's, why yes. I, that's why I'm still here, guys. Aw. Oh, Derek. Derek, you're perfect in my eye, and I'm really excited to see you again at E3. I'm really glad oh. that we're, we're both heading there. Like, Likewise. Yeah, I, w- I was kind of worried. You know, kind of a lot of stuff going on these days, really busy with my job and, you know, that sort of thing. But I, I sat down with the wife, and we talked about it. I was like, I think I need to go. Like I need and to she have... gave you permission to come see me and do it's our so once a year much... special thing. I know, I know, I know. It's not <laughs> time, but it's just like it, it's. I think it's good for me to like get away from from work and kind of oh, do something duh, a little yeah. more fun. Yeah, who would have thought, right? I know. I um, wish Caitlin was coming too. Oh, I know. I know. I'm talk I'm about so... her like she's not here. I'll be last, there in spirit. Last year was really hard when I found out that uh, Zodiac Age was coming out, and I was like, "Oh, Caitlin's gonna be so excited to see it," and then you didn't come to E3, and I was uh, really throughout that. Yeah. Uh, so what have I been doing? Um, oh boy, somebody's gonna get mad at me, but I gotta do it. Uh, I've been playing the last episode of the, uh, DLC for Dark Souls 3, the, the ringed city, or, uh, Derek coined it the ringed city, and I just think that sounds more Dark Souls. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of been, inter- it, it, it's been interesting going back to play Dark Souls 3 after so much Neo. I think you really learn to appreciate that From Software might be the best in the business when it comes to enemy design. Like, they have so many varied creatures and 
and just different monstrosities coming at you and that you're constantly varying up your tactics. And I think where Neo kind of had like, William has so many moves and how much depth he has to his moveset, only fighting the same enemies over and over again kind of makes that feel very stale. Uh, so I'm, I'm playing that. I'm, I'm going to finish it up. I think I'm like one bonfire away from the final boss. It is stupid difficult. Like it is, uh, if Dark Souls 3 was pretty easy, and I think I said that last year when we talked about it, I didn't have much trouble with Dark Souls 3. This is like the, oh, we designed this to be super challenging, which is, <laughs> which is pretty cool. There's also a lot of, there's also a lot of variety in, uh, the types of traps that they put at you now. They kind of had the, uh, the angels that are like homing death turrets and you kind of have to stealth your way past them a little bit. That works pretty well. Mm -hmm. uh, a couple enemy types are maybe a little bit more obnoxious than I would like. Uh, they need to cool it with the, the self-heal on the turtle-like enemies that you can end up fighting them for five minutes because they just keep healing themselves. Uh, boss mm. fight's been... Yeah, I know. It, it's it's one of those mechanics like if they would just cool down the the number of times they could do it, it would be okay. Oh, God. That... Uh Random aside, I hate yeah, that yeah. in Trails of Cold Steel too. Oh, really? The regenerating enemies? That's... Oh, Derek, you, I'm sure you remember a couple of boss fights where the enemies do that. It pisses me off. Yeah, I'm just not really fond of that as a mechanic. Usually no. it's like, let me make progress. Stop like, I know, it's me. like, it only sounds fair. Like, you can heal, so enemies should be able to, too. But, like, when they, like, heal, like, a, like a third of their HP in, yeah. like, one move, and you're like... That's going to take me like 10 minutes to get rid of. You realize this. I, I think it's when they spam it. That's what really gets me. Like if this, if these guys could only do it once, maybe twice, I'd be okay with it. But I've had them do it 10 times in a row. Mm. And that's like, and, and you actually cannot kill them fast enough. If they decide to use, use this move, you can have them down to 20 hit points and be trying to get the last attack in on them. And you can't. So that, that's a little annoying. Uh, I'm really excited to fight the last boss. I watched a video of it just because I'm not... I, I I don't know what it is, but I'm not really big into spoilers when it comes to Souls games, probably because the, the story is so insane in these games that it's kind of impossible to ruin it for yourself. So I watched a video of the last boss, and he, he looks really cool, so I'm, I'm looking forward to fighting him. It, it This game also made me appreciate Dark Souls 3 a lot more. I think, you know, it came out, and I played it, and I, I liked it, but I was maybe a little harsher on it than I, I should have been. I, I actually think they made a very, very good game. I, it has some problems here and there, but... Uh, it's really good. It's really enjoyable. It's more souls if that's what you're looking for. And I guess now the question is, do we see their new game at, uh, do we see from software's new game at E3? I kind of hope not in a way. Like I, I want it to be like another year before we see anything out of them. I really want this game to come out of the, the gate, super creative, you know, and watch they make an armor mm -hmm. core game. But like, didn't, I, mm -mm. didn't Miyazaki, well, didn't Miyazaki say he was working on an armored core game? Uh, something very straightforward and something totally new, and the straightforward thing that people expect is Bloodborne 2, right? I I wouldn't be surprised. I think if we're at Sony and they announce Bloodborne 2, I'm I on the one hand I'm going to be bummed, but that is my favorite game in the franchise. I just you know I I would like another action RPG of this style, but I do think I want to see it really pushed forward. I think that they they pretty much perfected the Dark Souls style game with Dark Souls 3. Like, that game plays very, very well. That's the game I recommend to people. Like, if they're saying, oh, I want to play a Souls game, I say you should play Dark Souls 3. It is the, the gentlest game in the franchise. I actually disagree with Austin uh, Austin Walker, uh, formerly of Giant Bomb. I, I was reading his review of 3 again, and he said that, like, the, the opening of 3 was very, very difficult. I, I 
very much disagree with that. I think three might have the most approachable opening out of all of them. Uh, whereas Bloodborne might be the most vicious opening out of all of them. Like, I don't know. I, I want to see what they do. I, I, I just love collecting their art design books. I just think those guys are fantastic with their art design, with their world building. And, you know, I, I'm also hopeful for Neo. I think we're going to see another Neo 2 based on how, uh, how well that's sold. Seems to be a little surprise for Sony. And I just hope that they work on, you know, enemy variety and level design a little bit because their action-y combat is very distinct. And that's the part of that game that works really well. It's the other stuff that, you know, a little bit of work here and there, but E3 is is getting exciting, and I want to see on the one hand. Out. I know. On the one hand, I really want to see what From Software is doing, but on the other hand, another year of anticipation might be really cool. Like just Isn't that crazy. I know. Two months. We're gonna start getting the leaks. It's gonna start happening. The the leaks are gonna start coming. Uh, Xenoblade Chronicles two guys. <laughs> I The thought that that might actually come out this year is... I we can't get our hopes up, but man, that'd be cool. Oh, my and hopes are a up. A one-year span of FF15, Persona 5, and Xenoblade. Not to mention like all the other things, but I feel like those are very oh, big name oh, games man. at the very least. Can you imagine if it did come out, how hard our job is going to be trying to figure out what... Game of the year. Yeah. Ugh. Well, I mean, I, I gotta say, and, uh, Derek hinted at it a minute ago, so I, I do wanna go back to Zelda for a second. I, I don't think Zelda's in any risk of being maybe even in my top five. I really, really like that game. I don't want people to think I'm hating on it. I'm not trying to join the hipster bandwagon of hate that is definitely going to happen for this game, I, in my opinion. I think that's definitely going to happen in the next year or so. I really, really like Breath of the Wild. I like so many things it was doing, but when I finished it, there was a little bit of a hollowness. There was a little bit of like, I, I don't want to say I missed the Zelda formula, but there are aspects of that game that really, really frustrate me. I really wish that the four main dungeons in the game were better. Nobody's going to convince me that those dungeons are good. Like one of them was fine, but the same dungeon design four time was a huge letdown. Uh, the shrines started to really just, great on my nerves a little bit like there's just they're really cool and i like the idea of having these small bite-sized dungeons i think it works phenomenally well with the switch as a design philosophy like the ability to put it into suspend mode after you do one or two shrines on the way to work or something that's great but there's something about those big massive zelda dungeons not being there that's kind of a hole and uh i don't know i just kind of finished it and i don't actually remember a whole lot of it. There weren't... The overall experience is very positive, but it kind of has the open-world game problem where there aren't a lot of memorable moments. Like, at least that's for me. It, it you is don't think there are memorable moments in Breath of the Wild? I think there's a few. Uh, some of the ways that you... Without going to spoiler mm -hmm. territories, the, the ways that you get into the dungeons, uh, those kind of mini-game things. Those are all great. Yeah. Uh, not the Goron one. No, 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 no. That that's my good. least favorite of them all. But it's... That one, uh, that's where I'm going next. That one goes on way too long. That goes way too long. I think um, because the actual interiors of the Divine Beasts, if you figure them out rather quickly, they can they can be pretty fast dungeons, all things considered. Yeah, yeah, I don't like think any of the Divine minutes, Beasts yeah. Yeah, are as long as a temple in, in the previous Zelda game, but no. yeah. I, I think that it's intended to... I think you're supposed to uh, think of the entire experience as the moment 
you know, like the journey to that air, to the region where it is, to meeting the character, Mm -hmm. to having them help you get inside it, to doing the dungeon. That's the entire experience. Yeah, that's kind of how I felt about it too. Yeah, Yeah, I can dig that. I I like that. And I think actually the best area uh, for that was probably the Zora area. Like that long. Which is surprising because you would expect the water one to be the worst, right? Yeah, but like the the long trek to the Zora dungeon was really, really good. I actually, even though it kind of annoyed annoyed me a little bit because it's kind of a gameplay conceit, you know, you can't climb on the walls in this area. I, I still dug that, and it made me play the game very differently. I like that, but I just... I don't know. Something about that game, just it, it's a little... Uh, maybe I'm just the hater in the room. Hollow is the word that comes to my yeah, just, yeah, hollow was really the right word. Um, even the final boss, I, I, I'm not going to go into spoilers, I mean, but I, I just didn't... I didn't jive with them all that much. Uh, design-wise, phenomenal but like actual like getting there uh the boss fights in general in the game were very underwhelming uh i did the gerudo dungeon last that fight just didn't feel good maybe i just had the dungeon in an orientation where it wasn't fun but that whole thing just felt like i was struggling with the environment more than the actual boss maybe that was the point the electric one right yeah i i really didn't like that one and i i didn't die at all to like any of the bosses they never Mm. were at risk of killing me so i think an interesting thing that breath of the wild does is you have such an expanded tool set for dealing with many tasks that you approach in the game whether self-imposed or uh storyline wise Mm. that you can you can do things in a variety of ways and the most straightforward or sort of like the way that you would, the expected quote unquote way that you, you feel like you're supposed to do something isn't necessarily the right way or the most efficient way. Like in, in uh, other Zelda games, usually, you know, you have a dungeon, you get a new item in that dungeon and then that item is used as part of the gimmick for the boss. Since breath of the wild gives you all of its tools up front, you don't really know at any given point, like which the best thing to use is. So it's like, Uh Do I just suck? Am I supposed to be using lightning arrows? But but once you uh, experiment, because the game encourages you to do so, you can find effective strategies. But for some reason, uh, the way that I play games, I often feel like I'm kind of cheating or doing it wrong if I find a particularly effective strategy that seems like it's not intended necessarily. But that's sort of the underlying philosophy of how Breath of the Wild works, mm-hmm. is for you to use that tool set and experiment. So I, yeah, I can agree with that. Yeah, it depends on the way that you play games or approach them, I guess. Because I find that even after all this time, I still like or require a specific degree of structure in my video games for me to fully enjoy them. Which is why I tend to like linear experiences where you have control over the mm-hmm. minutia, or like you know, like a, a long JRPG like Trails of Cold Steel. I can mm-hmm. still control the development of my characters, or I can like choose how long I want to spend exploring each town, that kind of thing. But I still prefer to have that guidance, that gentle push in the direction towards the finish line, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. There were moments playing Breath of the Wild where I was having the exact same uh, I don't want to say problem, but the exact same experience that you just described, See, which was for like... For me, it is a problem. Yeah, I, I just I didn't want to use. I don't problems. think it's bad. Right, I don't want to yeah. put words in your mouth. Uh, but like I, like every one of those boss dungeon, every one of those dungeon bosses, I had like that initial. Okay, how do I hurt this thing? And I'm like going through each of my things, and then I find the thing that worked, or I find the mm-hmm. tactic that worked, and I like that. But at the same time, it does feel very awkward with that control scheme, and you're kind of fumbling around, and you know your logic maybe isn't working in game logic. I think that that 
appears much in a much more positive way in the shrines because there are ways to ways to solve the shrines that don't actually do what the developers had anticipated and i think it's awesome that they give you that ability to do that like that's like the apparatus like cheating yeah. the apparatus like like those moments are really good like those are the really good moments in breath of the wild but like the 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 constant moblin encounters the the you know we talked about the weapon degradation in a lot of ways i feel more about this game like in a more positive way i feel very similar to the way i felt about metal gear solid 5 where mm-hmm. i was like you guys have built this very amazing ecosystem but the actual moment-to-moment gameplay can get very repetitive, and I wish there were more set pieces. I wish there were mm. more there were more moments that distinguished themselves. And not having those could maybe be seen as a good thing for the franchise. Again, I like this game infinitely more than Skyward Sword. I despise that game. This game is, is something that held my attention for 50 hours, so it obviously can't be bad. But I do have criticisms about the game like honestly having 900 korok seeds or whatever the hell it is like that's just unnecessary because after you find like 40 or 50 you really don't need any more like your your inventory is going to be so blown out at that point like why are there 900 like what why why did you put so many of them in there like i mean it's not like you're forced to seek them out or anything no no but but just get what i'm saying like at that point it just sort of becomes a collectible that i don't really understand like, I'm glad there aren't trophies or achievements. Oh, my sweet I know, right? Oh, my sweet Jesus. <laughs> Can you imagine if there were trophies? It, it definitely is an open world that I think flows way better than the next game we're going to talk about a little bit, which I the, the further we get out from Final Fantasy XV, the more I don't think I'm ever going to go back to that game. I tried, guys. I fired it back up. That game, and I, I got into a pretty... Yeah, you guys know I love Stephen Meyerink, formerly of the show, to death, and he's like a brother to me. But like, we got into a very heated argument over Final Fantasy XV, where just the menu design in that game makes me not want to play it. Like the the trying to fast travel in that game and opening up a menu to open up another menu to think I'm fast traveling when I go to the wrong area, or the fact that I have to memorize what the place is called, then go to the fast travel menu. That that game's UI is so nails on a chalkboard that it doesn't make I don't want to engage with it like it it actively makes me want to stop playing it I I'm very happy to hear that they've worked on chapter 13 and I want you guys to talk about episode Gladio but that game somebody needs to sit down and go through that UI again like I just I I can't I can't talk about this at all because I I I'm I'm kind of like you I don't want to play it anymore I don't hate it, but it just it, – it is actively refusing – so you remember when Witcher 3 came out and, like, the UI was a mess? Like, it, it was it was functional, but it was a mess. It was tiny? And, yeah, it was tiny, and it was hard to, like, find stuff. And if you, like, picked up a quest item and didn't look at it right away, it's basically lost in your inventory like an old-school Ultima game. Like, that's cool. But, like, they worked on it. They, they released patches. They made it better. Like, they really made that UI, like – it still has some issues here and there, but like it's still really, really good. I think more than a chapter thirteen rewrite, I want them to make the menus better. <laughs> like it's just think about how you fast travel in that game. Doesn't that suck? It's a pain in the ass. Because they built total, it around the car. It's a total pain in the ass. You have to look at what where you want to go, then open up another menu to fast travel. Yep. Ah! ah! I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Let, let's let's talk about episode Gladio. Uh, he shaves his chest. I hear. 
which is a real damn shame. Uh, oh, are you, are <laughs> you, oh, wait a second. I'm sorry. Here? Oh, of course. You know me. Oh, well, I mean, so I uh, I think I talked about this on the show one time. I nearly uh, took my nipple off shaving my chest oh. one time for Jackie. Yep. I, I went way too fast, and uh, I I have never seen that much blood. There was, oh, my God. It was squirting out of me, guys. Oh like I have Kill a Bill. scar. I, yes, I have a scar. I'm going to lift up my shirt right now. Yep, I still have a scar on my right nipple from that. Um, I nearly took the whole nipple off. Uh, so, and th- I said to her, I'm never shaving my chest ever again. And now she's okay with the, 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 you know, the chest hair. So Derek, yeah. Derek, yay to chest hair. Caitlin, chest hair. Uh, I mean, if you're asking me what I would ideally prefer, I think clean shaven is oh, sexier. Damn. Oh, God. Damn. Okay. So Geralt is your guy. Okay, so we're, like, we're we know here. Geralt's your guy. I mean, like... is there any contest where Geralt's involved? Come on. <laughs> you've, you've seen the bass scene, right? You know that voice only... Yeah, every time that voice actor has used that voice with another character, it's never worked. It only works with Geralt. It because Geralt's works. got that bod. He does have that. He has a swimmer's build. He really does. He has the powerful shoulders and, and the lanky midsection. Anywho, uh, Gladio. Anyway. Gladio. So, so I'll actually start by talking about uh, the reworked Chapter 13. And we've discussed Chapter uh, Final Fantasy 15 a lot on this podcast. Um, I've talked about how I felt like the story was sort of unfinished or petered out, especially towards the end, which is not an uncommon criticism levied against the game at all. But, uh, my God, like... I feel like chapter 13's fixes, and I'm putting those in air quotes, fill in those plot holes with the subtlety of a brick to the face. Oh, it's this like, is going to be good. Oh this, my God, does you guys, this shock like, us? Does this shock us? No. no. It's just like you... It's it's exactly what you thought happened behind the scenes, but delivered in the most straightforward, like almost insultingly asinine way. And I don't, I don't hate that they did this, like... This would have been fine if it was in the game from the very beginning. It's just they outlined events that were like no shit, you guys. Like, of course that's what happened <laughs> behind the scenes. And they, it's also, it just feels so ham-fisted to me. And I don't, I don't hate that they put the effort into doing it. And it's the game is better for it for sure. But I watched it, and it's also like twenty minutes long total to get through the entire thing. The new chapter, yeah. twenty minutes. Yeah, uh, you do it, and it's just like, uh huh, yeah, that's what I expected. It's like oh, you take you open the freezer, you open that paper bag, and there's a dead dove inside, and you're just like, I don't know what I expected. What but is that a reference? Wow, Arrested Development. Oh, okay. I've I've never yeah. watched it. I'm sorry. I had uh, okay. no idea what you were talking about. <laughs> I anyway, am, I was so, so confused. So while I think that the new Chapter 13 is, you know, it's whatever. It's not bad. It's just really straightforward. And uh, the, there is one moment. Have you? Neither of you have gotten to Chapter 13 though, right? No. In the original game? Okay. No, well, I, I, I've beaten the original game. Okay, well, I'm going to, like, I'm going to do a very mild spoiler here, and I'm sorry, but in, so avert your ears at this time if you don't wish to hear a minor spoiler about Chapter 13 in Final Fantasy 15. Okay, so ha- have you heard how in, in Chapter 13 the reason why they did these, uh, not not just because of the stealth mechanics that were not well received, the reason why they reworked the story part of that is because you get a lot of exposition from documents strewn across the ground. Mm. Did you hear about that? I, I didn't know mm-hmm. that. Okay, so there's like there's like a plot point that needed to be clarified, which is why they did this, because in the original version, they just had papers that you picked up and read, which is not at all how the game had told its story up to that point. So 
in the new version, which is sort of like, I guess you have to pick whether you want to take Noctis's path or the new path with Gladio and Ignis. In the new path where you're playing as Gladio, you still you see a cutscene explaining what happened, and the villain literally stands over a character and throws papers at him, and they fall on the ground. And he's like, "I'll just leave this here." <laughs> I was like, Are like you his kidding like me? his notes, like it, like like his yes. just like ultimate battle plan, like yes, he's like, "I'll just leave this," and throws it on the. Dear. I was like, "Are you? Is this the most mustache twirling villain moment?" I thought it was so badly done. <laughs> Uh, is like, it is it true that you have to like reload in order to see both sides? You can't. Uh, you can access chapter. Thir- you can access the alternate chapter thirteen from the title screen of the game, but I think you might to you might have to beat it first. I'm not 100 percent sure. Like the first time you go through it, you pick either one, uh-huh. and then you can reload from the title screen after beating the whole game. I think. So it's not integrated seamlessly into a playthrough. You have to. Right. So that's a bummer. Yeah. Um, what it does do is it does provide the clarification, and that's fine. Okay, cool, thanks. And being able to play as Gladio for a minute is cool because it's a little teaser for his DLC. So the following day after that patch came out, they released episode Gladio. It's the first of the three planned mini-episodes where you play as each of the three other characters of Noctis's crew. And so in this one, you play as Gladio, who wants to become stronger, basically, so he goes to undertake the trial of Gilgamesh, why this was never mentioned in the game proper, I don't know. But so he goes to go. And there's the problem that I have with this is that there's such an obvious hook for it in the main game. Mm-hmm. Like there's the point where Gladio's like, I got to go take care of some business, guys. See you later. And then leaves. You know, it's like, come on. How how much more obvious can it be that you plan to cut this out and then resell it at a premium later on? So. It happens, and what it does is it explains what happened during that time, and it's actually satisfying. I thought it was a good micro story. It only takes about an hour and a half to two hours to do everything in it. Mm-hmm. Um, plays Gladio by himself. He plays similarly to Noctis, but he has uh, a Valor meter, which is kind of like a mini limit break. So like as you do damage or take damage, it fills up, and then you can unleash more powerful moves. You know what it actually reminded me of was Cyan's sword tech. Ooh. Or Bushido in FF6, where okay, like now you're speaking my language. So I am yeah. one of my favorite character as a kid. So the the more it builds up, the stronger the move you can do, kind of thing. And then it goes back to zero, and then you just build it up again. But it happens very quickly. And then he has a, a rage meter as well, where the more damage you take or when you block, you your passive damage that you do just goes up like a multiplier. So it's got a good risk reward balance for being aggressive or making sure that you pair your block attacks effectively because that just makes your base damage go up. So it's it's actually a lot of fun. I think that the combat works really well and it's brief enough that you know the sort of limitations of those mechanics don't really ever become an issue because you're only doing it for two hours maybe max. Mm-hmm. Um, and it tells a nice little side story. It introduces you know Gilgamesh, which is a fan favorite Final Fantasy character. So I mean you fight him on a big bridge as one would expect, and the <laughs> Music is done by Keiichi Okabe, who did the soundtrack for Nier, which is freaking great. Um, I didn't think that I wanted to hear another remix of Battle on the Big Bridge ever again, but they proved me wrong, because it's really freaking good. So I think episode Gladio was like perfectly serviceable. It's fun. It's brief. Um, if you don't have the season pass, it costs five bucks, which five bucks for two, maybe three hours of content if you want to stretch it out. That's not so bad. Um, yeah, it doesn't sound terrible. It's not terrible. It, it, the, the problem is just sort of that they wrote themselves into a corner by 
cutting that out of the game in the first place. And it feels like it's almost insulting to have to pay to get that extra story because it should have just been in the game. And it includes uh, the character Core, Leonis, General Core, who is in the very beginning of FF15 and then just kind of disappears for most of the rest of the game. Originally, he was planned to be the fifth party member alongside the rest of the guys, but when they scrapped the project uh, for Versus 13 and remade it into 15, he, he took on a different role. So it was disappointing to me as somebody who had followed the game all those years to know that he was cut and it was like, where's this character that I saw in all the promo materials? Which, of mm-hmm. course, like I realized that the game changed during that time. So Core is featured pretty prominently in this DLC and you get basically all of his backstory and it's not extensive, Ooh. but it's enough. And it's something that I wish we had in the main game because... I thought he was a fine character, and I wanted to know more about him. So, episode he had Gladio one of the is best animated faces in the game too. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, episode Gladio is. I would say, if you're a fan of Final Fantasy 15, it's worth your time. I just, you know, I have to take issue with the fact that it was cut out. Well, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, it should have been there in the first place. So, if you can get over that, then it's it's worth the five bucks. It's like three hours, two three hours of fun. Mm-hmm. Check it out. I just the further we get out from that game, I just I, I I get into that mode where like a game becomes impenetrable impenetrable to me when it's super complicated and I haven't played it for a long time, and yeah. that's how I'm starting to feel about fifteen. Like I, again, I don't want people to think I'm rewriting the history book on that game. Like I I enjoyed it quite a bit from what I played of it, warts and all. Like we we talked about the issues we had, but it was still fun. Like, it was still enjoyable. I feel like I'm saying that about Zelda and Final Fantasy right now. Like, I don't love these games, but they are way better than the previous games that I've played in those franchises. So, take that as me being positive. Like, I'm actually not trying to hate on it. Um, But I don't know. Just the the longer we we get around it, the less I want to play it. Yeah, I... I was temporarily reinvigorated when I played Gladio, and I was like, oh, man, I kind of want to go back into the main game, because they, in the meantime, they've released the, the PS4 Pro patch for the game that um, so unlocks the frame rate to a degree. I don't, it doesn't run at a constant 60, but it can approach 60. It looks a hell of a lot better. So it looks better, right. So yeah. I was like, okay, now that they finally did that patch, and there's been a little bit of DLC to come out, and now I have a couple new costumes and stuff, like maybe I'll go for the Platinum finally. But I found that after finishing Gladio and going back into the game proper, I played it for like an hour or two. And then I just, you know, it's it's been too long. And I I feel like I would have to start over at this point if I wanted to really go for it. Because I just can't, I can't really get in the headspace for it. Um, so I think that, you know, waiting for the entire FF15 experience to be complete isn't a bad idea. And I kind of wish, in a way I wish I would have waited, but I know myself and there's no damn way I would have waited an extra year to play FF15 with how excited I was pre-release. Like, It's just a shame that they've added so much post-release and that people like me or us who have played so much of the game before the fact can't... You can't erase that experience. You can't right, forget right. how you felt the first time you played through it, and especially with the frustration I felt about the ending and sort of like the last third or so of the game. I can't unfeel those feelings. So even if they do stuff to fix it, that's great, and they should do that. But I, you know, I can't change how I felt. So, mm. 
but good for them for continuing to work on it. That's better than not doing anything at all. So. Oh yeah, no, I mean, it, it's the same. Uh, we talked about The Witcher a second ago. Like people that played The Witcher after it had been out for a while, they got a better experience. They really did. And and with the Souls games, they they patch the games, they make things better. Like I I think that's it's an unfortunate problem that's come along because of games being worked on after the fact but at the same time this also means the games don't stay broken typically right. like we, we I, I would much rather I, I don't agree with people that are like oh man I wish when games would come out and they would be finished it's like yeah but remember like imagine them not being able to fix glitches in games and think about how much bigger games are these days like the other option is not good like this this is actually okay I can live with this yeah well I mean at the very least, you know, it's it's what Miyamoto had the the adage of uh, uh, a rush game is bad forever, or a delayed game is eventually good. Uh-huh. And as as much as I don't like or want delays for games that I'm excited about, ultimately it's like you only have one chance to make that impression, and yep. I'd rather have the best impression that a game can muster up. I mean, Persona Five that? was supposed to be out in 2014, right? So here we are. That- would you say that you don't want to give away your shot? Oh, uh, Caitlin, you don't I'm want going to throw away your shot. I'm sorry. Uh, May 20th, I will be uh, seeing Hamilton. Well, you better use. You better say it right then. Alexander Hamilton. I'm not throwing away my. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. I said, no, I'm. Uh, J- Jackie spent way too much money on these tickets, so we're. Uh, we're yeah, going I am jealous. Of course, I'm jealous. <laughs> Oh, uh, boy. Oh, boy. So, uh, Persona 5, we don't have it. Yes. We really want it. We really I want mean, it. By the time this comes out, this podcast is posted, we'll have it, hopefully. Right, right. And it is. I am so right. Re- I was explaining to my students, like, I've been waiting for this game for eight years, almost. I was in graduate school. Like, I was single. Jackie wasn't even in my life yet. Like... That's kind of nuts that we've been waiting yep. for this game that long. Yep. It's, it's been a really long time. But, uh, you know, somebody was showing me, I saw on Twitter the other day, and forgive me for not knowing all the details off the top of my head. Sorry, I probably should have researched this before I brought it up. But somebody posted a comparison of what the art looked like in Persona 5 back when they originally planned to release it versus what it looks like now. And the level of polish is just crazy. The mm. characters look so much more simple. Like, the, the designs were the same. But the amount of detail in the art and the shadowing and the textures and stuff in the character portraits are, like, night and day so much better. So uh, I'm glad that the game had the time that it needed to cook because Persona games have historically been very special. And I think that they can only really achieve that level of, um, you know, that very, very high bar that they've set for themselves by the developers having high standards and continuing to work until it meets those standards. So. It sucks really bad that the game has been delayed so much, and like I wanted to play it a million times, and we should have been playing it a couple months ago even. But man, it's only a couple days left, guys. So. I'm so ready. I'm so ready. So to go along with Persona Five, I, I did want to talk about something else. So uh, Atlas, and I, I apologize, I should have brought this up uh, in the pre-show. Uh, Atlas had their big uh, game announcement uh, last week. We saw a lot of, uh, you know, where I'm going. yeah, you know where I'm going. You know where I'm going. Uh, a lot of games announced. Uh, Radiant Historia on 3DS, which was like 
okay. And I, I honestly think some people must have known this was coming. Like Kotaku ran an article about like underappreciated JRPGs like two days before this announcement, and they mm-hmm. talked about Radiant Historia. Like I started thinking back to Radiant Historia and how I kind of bounced off it. I, I liked aspects of it, but it was a little something wasn't clicking for me. Maybe if I played it now. Now, and I actually was saying, oh, maybe I'll play this now, and then they announce a 3DS remake. They also announced a remake of Shin Megami Tensei Strange Journey, a game that chewed me up and spit me out, and I have absolutely no desire to play it again. Uh, I just don't like first-person dungeon crawlers. I'm not a big fan of that. Uh, and then I saw some people were very, very, very upset about the new art designs. So I... And also just the the nature of Shin Megami Tensei in general. This this seemed to be uh, a little bit of the the criticism that was leveled at uh, Shin Megami Tensei Four and uh, Shin Megami Tensei Apocalypse. So I kind of wanted to get your guys' feeling on this a little bit. I you know I came to Shin Megami Tensei very late. I didn't play Nocturne when it first came out. So I think I, I'm a little bit more accepting of the new art designs, although Steven did show me the, the art change for Radiant Historia, and I was oh like, my oh, God. oh, Erica's oh. design? Yeah. Yeah, like, went That's from, bad. like, went from, like, really hardcore, like, uh, female in, in armor to, like, boobalicious uh, anime girl. And yeah, I was like, oh. toast anime princess is what I've been calling her. That uh, okay, I can I can see that. Uh, so I want to get your your gauge on this, guys. I was a little, I, I think on the one hand, some of the outrage I, I can see, but you know, I really liked Apocalypse, all things considered. So I was, I, I'm a little surprised at some of the some of the anger right now. I wish Robert Fenner was here to talk about it because yes, he I do wrote too. an excellent piece <laughs> about this. Yeah. Uh, so it has become after these this pair of announcements, it feels like the sort of go-to for Atlas to reinvigorate their old games is to bring them back, add a new girl and, and an ending route attached to her, and then update the art style to be a little bit more generic Moe, which I <laughs> I hate I hate all of that because I'm thinking about it, and it's like Persona 4 Golden added a lot to the game, and I think it is the definitive version by far, but it does add... I mean, it, there's kind of like the creeping Moe stuff that gets in there where there's the, the hot spring scene, which is, I mean, it's whatever, like... I don't hate all of that automatically, and I think that Persona generally does a pretty good job of contextualizing that stuff well, and it fits in with the characters for the most part, because they're high school students and stuff, so whatever. But they added that, and they have Marie, who's like the Sundere, you know, mysterious girl, and I thought Marie was fine when I played the game. I didn't mind her, but we had that, right? So then then there was um, Double Survivor 2 Record Baker. They added, they updated that game, and they added a new sort of epilogue scenario where there is a new girl version of the, I forget his name, the sort of commander of gyps. There's like girl version of him and a new ending attached to her. Now we have Radiant Historia has this new girl in a sun hat and she has a chronicle so she can control histories as well, presumably. So there's a new ending attached to her. We have Shin Megami uh, Deep Strange Journey and there's a new girl named Alex and there's a new ending path attached to her. So it's kind of like, I'm seeing a trend here, guys, and I don't necessarily know that I like that mold, I think that it's kind of, it's creatively bankrupt to a degree. And it's like, if you're, if the entire basis for selling the new game is to make the art less memorable and to sort of create this artificial connection with a character who I may or may not like by promoting her very heavily before release and making it almost not necessarily like a dating type thing. Cause I don't know how it works, but you know, do you know what I mean though? Like there's a pattern happening here. 
I definitely see what you're saying, and I don't want to do like the typical, uh, you know, freshman college philosophy class thing of like, well, how do you define good art, Mr. Heemsburg? And like, I don't want to do that to you right no, that's now. That's fair. That's totally subjective. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think art design is a little subjective. The the deep, strange journey one didn't get me as much as the radiant historian. That one doesn't look as yeah. She 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 looks like uh, was it Nozomi from Apocalypse? Like she actually looks like the the fairy queen a little bit, and so. Okay. Uh, you know, but I, I definitely agree. It's not as striking of an art design, and I, I would probably say for me personally, it doesn't strike me quite as much. And it's maybe, a little more uniform, though. Yeah, I can, I can see that. Um, I guess my question is, why are they doing this? Like, is this because obviously they're doing it for somebody. Somebody likes this. You know, this, this is one of those things where, like, you know. It, things are done for reasons. So where is this coming from? Is this because of the the change in anime aesthetics in Japan? Like we've yes. talked about that a little bit. Like I think that's exactly what it is. You can't watch an anime now without having a hot spring scene. But back when we were kids, that just wasn't the case. You know? Yeah. I think it's very much just sort of the the evolution of the industry. Yeah. The the way that the art. I think art has shifted to be sort of like a more homogenous style across a lot of anime. And these games are, are picking up on that trend. And it's just influenced by what consumers are buying or liking or whatever. And I don't necessarily like or agree with all of that. But I, I recognize that people do like that and want that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's no doubt that that influence is felt in these these new games. And I, I think that Atlas has traditionally handled most of this stuff pretty damn well. And especially their core, like per, the numbered Persona games, 3, 4, and soon to be 5, have done an excellent job of, of keeping that very high standard of quality, even if those elements tend to creep in here and there. Um, like there's, I mean, there, there's stuff, I'm going to use the scary word, there's problematic stuff in all the Persona games if you look for it, if you really want to take a deep analysis. But no, I don't think any game or journey is going to be perfect from start to finish. And often the problems that that arise are reflective of how people behave in real life. Like, if you want to talk about Yosuke being homophobic with Kanji in Persona 4, like, people are like that, you know? That doesn't mean that the game is is bad because it depicts somebody who's doing, practicing behavior that I would find reprehensible or irritating. Um, so I just worry that that's sort of the spin-off-y type stuff. If you want to call it a spin-off, like Deep Journey and um, Devil Survivor and stuff, those aren't their core games. So I think those tend to take more of the... They, they go harder on the mainstream tropey anime stuff when they can. And then their core stuff seems to keep it pretty in line. Does that make sense? I don't know. I'm just no, kind I, of talking like. I, I, no, no, no. I, I think that the, these are conversations that I want to have. And I, I kind of want to by extension, not move away from this, but move to another topic that I was seeing a little bit. Um, so the reviews for persona five started coming out from the big sites and, you know, everybody is super positive on the game. I'm super ready to go. And then I, and I want to be careful when I talk about this stuff. I don't, I don't want it to seem like I'm saying every, I, I know everything because obviously I don't and I want to have these discussions. I started to see a little bit of the backlash of like, well, there's no, uh, there's no gay romance in the game. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of was having the same feeling that I did a little bit with uh, The Witcher 3 when there was a lot of the anger about not having people of color in The Witcher 3. And my buddy Simon is currently visiting us from Britain, and I asked for his opinion on it, and you're going to get a very different perspective than an American perspective. And he said, well, you know, they're Polish game developers. 
they built for The Witcher, they built a world that is diverse in terms of Europe. Like, you, you know, just because you're not seeing black people or people of color doesn't mean that's not diverse. You see Italian people, you see uh, uh, Polish people, you see Norwegian people. Like, there's people of all different kinds. And so then I then we get the persona thing of like, well, there's no gay romance. And I don't know enough about Japanese culture to say whether or not that is a thing that I should be expecting in a game. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't want to have the cultural relativism argument. That's not the argument I'm trying to have. Like, oh, well, we can't judge their culture because we're not Japanese. That's not the argument I'm trying to have. I don't know, guys. Like, I don't know if that's something that is an acceptable thing to have in a, a mainstream tip, AAA video game in 2017 in Japan, if that um, makes sense. I think it's... It's very complex. It uh, is. Of course. Yeah. Um, I've talked about it repeatedly. Apparently it's come up a lot in this episode, but uh, in case I've never come out and say it, said it, but I think I have, I'm gay. So it's <laughs> really it's Derek. I had no idea. But, so it's important to me to, you know, sure. I like looking for representation in games because it helps me have a more authentic experience that I, I can, you know, identify with characters and stuff. And, but the thing is like, not every person is gay. So why would every video game have to feature a gay main character? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, especially if that character is written to have a personality and isn't like an insert, you know, character. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, the thing, the problem with Persona 5 is, uh, so I, I also think that there doesn't necessarily have to be a gay romance in the game for available to you. Like that's whatever. Uh, the problem that I do have is that what I have read, I haven't gotten there, obviously, since the game isn't out. And I don't know. I'll have to talk about this maybe after I play the game. But I have heard that there is, like, a, a gay couple who appears as comic relief mm-hmm. to freak out Ryuji. And I okay, think that's, that's really funny. Because it's, what it is is it's, it's perpetuating the sort of, like, Japanese stereotype of gay people not being legitimate people living a legitimate lifestyle. It's sort of like a thing that you don't talk about that you sweep under the rug and that only exists as comic relief or the punchline to a joke. I think that's bad. Yeah, I would, I would agree with you. Yeah. I don't think they should be doing that. Should there necessarily be a gay character that you can romance as the protagonist of this game? I don't know. What if that doesn't fit, you know, the character? Like what if he just is straight? (laughs) Like, yeah. Oh my, you know, that's fine. It, so we don't need to shoehorn it in necessarily, but I also would appreciate if they're going to bring up homosexuality, can it not be a punchline? I think you that's know? fair. I, th- mm-hmm. I think you 100% have a fair opinion. Uh, Caitlin, I don't want to just, just be a boy's talk over here, so I want to get your perspective in on this too, of course. Um, well, I mean, I think it's it's definitely a complicated situation, and I think we're getting to the point where people are expecting to have the, these options, and I think that they should, but at the same time, we're talking about a Japanese developer developing a game that is a very, very Japanese game, even, I think, uh, more so from everything I've heard, more so than other games in the series. That's mm-hmm. What I've heard is that Persona 5 is is a very, it's a, it's a game that is very, very sort of Set in the in a Japanese uh, way. Um, that's that's gonna in sound weird. Yeah, even more so than P4 and P3. This is a game about Japan, and you know we we love Japan, and and I mean I I love Japan, and Japan you know 
for better or worse, they are working through things, but they are not the best in terms of progressive uh, nature when it comes to uh, accepting um, homosexuality and LGBT rights uh, and that kind of thing. So, and I hate to say that, I, like, you know, it sounds like cop out to say, well, they're Japanese developers, so why should we expect them to uh, to give, uh, you know, a gay romance option? And it's, and it's not like Japanese developers can't, because we've seen games mm. developed by Japanese companies where you have had the option, but it also sometimes feels like it's a struggle or even an accomplishment to have even one uh, gay or lesbian right. option in a Japanese game. I mean, look how many options were there in Fire Emblem Fates? Were there like what less than a one. handful? There was yeah one one gay male and one uh, lesbian. That yeah that that was it. Out of how many you know multiple possibilities that you had in that game, mm-hmm. and, and that, that is was, it's a step for sure. Yeah. That's that's fine. I don't want to derail you or, or make your point yeah. for you or anything. So go ahead. No, yeah, it's a step. It's a, it's a step for sure. But I mean, like, I don't know. I'm not surprised. I guess is the is what I'm going for. That there yeah, isn't. Yeah, me too. But and I don't necessarily expect it. It's just. Would it be nice? Yeah. Yeah. I would like that if that were an option. But if it doesn't fit or it just isn't meant to be or whatever, like okay, I'm not going to lose sleep over it. I just, I do, the thing that I do take actual issue with is the the portrayal of gay characters if they are going to be just joke right, characters. Right, right. Yeah. 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 And so, I think that, I think that's 100% okay. Um, and I think we're all kind of, we're all kind of agreeing here a little bit. Like, I think that you start running the risk of, of feeling like you're filling out like one of those college pamphlets. Like if you say, well, for every, you know, straight romance, there has to be a gay romance. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, that doesn't, you know, I get it on the it's one just... hand. Cause you're trying to make an avatar that people can identify with, especially in a game like mass effect where you're playing, you're playing a role. Like I get that. And I understand that. And I think the representation is huge, but at the same time, like if a character's straight, they're straight. And if you play, right. and we've talked about that on on the show before, like it would be awesome to play an RPG where I have no option. I'm playing a gay character. Like that would be really cool. At the same time, though, don't make me a hot female, big titted blonde bimbo to fill out that aspect of the male fantasy. You know, let me play as something that I don't necessarily play with, play as every day. That could be really, really cool. I just don't think. I, I don't know. I kind of felt like people. There was a little bit of outrage here that I I could see where it was coming from, but I. I it, it felt a little much. I feel the same way. Yeah. I feel the same way. And I, I, I have to reserve judgment until, you know, I've played that and experienced it for myself. Right. But um, it seems like, I don't know, it may have been jumping the gun a little bit to to be that outraged or angry about it, um, considering that, you're right, it's like you're saying. I mean, people are diverse, period. But that, and and there should be representation for all people across you know, forms of media and video games. And that's, that's the ideal. That's the goal. But it's like, it be, it's disingenuous to just go down the checklist, if that makes sense. Like, wh- which is what you were saying, because in a game like Overwatch, I know that the the producers of, of that game have said the reason why that Overwatch cast is so diverse is because they just set out to include, you know, they were like, I think their reasoning was along the lines that people are diverse. So of course the cast of Overwatch is diverse. Like if it's a game with people, from all around the world in different walks of life, of course they're going to be representing 
you know, they're going to be checking a lot of boxes because it just sort of happens organically in that context. Whereas in a game like Persona 5, um, it's happening in, you know, it's happening in Japan. So we have to contextualize it as like, there are high school students in Japan. So maybe, you know, maybe in this group of students, maybe everybody is straight. Like that happens, you guys, it's okay. I don't know about you. I always have a gay friend. Like, I, you know, I, I it's so tough. Cause I, I do want, I, I want the representation and I, I do want it. And I, I think that the only way things get better is when people kind of raise unholy hell a little bit. And sometimes, you know, sometimes you got to raise unholy hell. That's good. But every once in a while, I'm like, okay, this is kind of, and it's also tough because, you know, latte drinking hippie over latte drinking liberal lead over here. But like when then I see that being used by the other side's argument, I kind of feel like sometimes you're fueling the other side's argument. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? It's like, okay, now they can hold this up as this is the thing we're fighting against. You know, like if I hear one more person say like the gay agenda in video games, it's like, what? Like, no, that's not actually a thing. Like, I don't think Derek's trying to make everybody gay, and Derek's sitting here going, "Yes, Is that you, what you, think? you continue to think that." <laughs> like, it's as hard. It, it's yeah, it's a really it difficult really conversation. And then there are also the cultural Im- implications. Like, I, I'm not trying to argue cultural relativism, like a freshman philosophy class, but there is some of that too, right? Like, a little step for Japan is huge. It may not be as big of a step as we want in America, but a step for Japan, you know, like Mm -hmm. having, like, imagine how crazy that was in the nineties to have, and this will make my wife very happy right now, but imagine how crazy that was in the nineties to have Neptune and Uranus and Sailor Moon and them not be a joke. Yeah. Like that's huge for 1990s Japan. That's amazing right now. And like, I'm not saying that that fixes all of the problems. No, definitely not. But like, at the same time, let's recognize when the good stuff happens, you know. And I, I think we got on that topic when we were talking about, uh, you know, positive female characters in games. Like, we talked a lot about that. Like, you know, I I think Aloy is freaking awesome. Does she? Yes. uh, does she fix all of the problems with uh, female representation in video games for the past 30 years? Absolutely not. But is she a great thing that we should hold up and go, yes, more of this, please? Absolutely. Also, ultimately, video games are a thing we play to either enjoy or to get something from in some way, whether it's beating our own personal best or just seeing the end of a story or, you know, whatever. So I think that the, the end goal here is to make games enjoyable for everyone, and inclusivity isn't going to take away fun for people. It's just going to provide more options, uh, especially when, you know, it's done organically or well. Um, and so I understand the fear that exists. It's like, you know, is, does every game have to become this homogenized sort of, you know, you could... you. You have every single option available, but they don't put much effort into every option because they had to check everyone on a list. Like, I get where that concern comes from, but I think that it's also not realistic because not every game is doing that. And ultimately, every creator has sort of the the freedom to choose what they do and don't include. And if there's pressure to to include more types of people in games, I think that can really I don't know, it can kind of only benefit us because not everybody's going to listen to the pressure or, or listen to the, the to that suggestion i don't know this is a topic that we could go out on go about go on about jesus at length and um you know i think ultimately i won't speak for everyone here of course but i mean i just want to keep playing video games that i can 
get something out of that I can enjoy. And it's nice to see myself in games sometimes. And where we are today, I have so many more options than I did a decade ago or two decades ago. You know, like I couldn't even imagine if I was a kid and if I was in my early teens and I played as a game where like the main character was gay and it was no big deal and everybody treated it, you know, like normally can, I, I can't imagine how that would have made me feel. So knowing that those options exist for younger players today, I think is that makes me happy. And yeah. it makes me happy to see more stuff like that in games that I'm playing. Cause it's like, cool. I there, I see a reflection of myself and that's important to me. But at the same time, I don't have to, I don't want to f- force that on every player in every context. And like, I play straight characters all the time and I accept that because that's who that character is. And I, I want that to be true to the vision of the character. I don't it's a lot. You know, I have to remind my students uh, fairly often as a teacher, like we have an awesome GLBTQ community at the school uh, and it's really, really awesome. But every once in a while I just sit the kids down and I'm like, you know, you guys are 15 to 18 years old. I was in high school before you guys were born for some of you guys the strives that we that the strives and steps that we have taken in recent years is pretty remarkable so you know that doesn't mean the fight's over and that doesn't mean that oh you should be happy and you know be complacent but what that does mean is that you know this stuff is getting better and it's really really positive and Derek I think you're right to be able to play as e- even just a gay character today so good for kids growing up now like that that's so amazing for them like can you imagine even if you were a straight kid playing mass effect and being a character who can be gay that's got to be a a kind of different kind of impact for you right like right so it's like oh, okay like yeah, yeah i guess th- i guess that's a thing you know people right, are gay this, this is a thing like th- this is a thing that's been going on and it's not something to be nervous about and it's not something that is bad like can you imagine how amazing that would be for kids today <laughs> yes i agree i'm just i'm amused because it's like here we are that that one uh I'm going to lose us one of our three listeners. Like, here we are promoting the SJW agenda, guys. Uh-oh, watch out. Just talking hey, up uh, a crap storm. And I started that whole conversation with, I think that some of the anger that was directed at Witcher 3, it kind of surprised me a little bit. And it was, you know, I, I didn't necessarily agree with all of it. Did I see where it was coming from? Yeah, but I didn't I didn't have to agree with all of it. And that's, that's kind of the great thing about a lot of this stuff. You can sit down and have conversations about it and grow and kind of develop your, your own ideas and your own yeah. sense of self. Like, that's really, really cool. So I'm sure somebody's going to give us a bad review over this. Um, oh, here we go. Well, I mean... <laughs> I will miss you, and I'm sorry that you know our games talk isn't enough for you. But can't you just talk about the games? Can't yeah, you, I got how. What if they made Cloud gay in the Final Fantasy VII remake? <laughs> they won't. Like it. It turns out he wanted to go on the date with Barrett the whole time. Who right. wouldn't? Who wouldn't? Right. In all seriousness, and I'll, I hear he uh, he shaves his chest. Okay, <laughs> so uh, good show, guys. Good show. Yeah. Fun conversations, and now we're all excited for uh, Persona 5. Oh, can't wait. I am so excited. Uh, so, yeah, thank you, everybody, for listening to Random Encounter. Uh, be sure to give us messages. Uh, email us at podcast at rpgfan.com. Derek always likes reading those, and it's very, very lonely when we don't get any. Um, please hold off on your comments that I talk too much about Dark Souls. I mean, come on, a, a new DLC piece came out. Uh, give me give me some kind of break. Uh, and as always, you know, give us uh, suggestions. We love hearing your feedback. Uh, 
uh, and we want to make this show something that you guys can really enjoy. And those uh, reviews on iTunes also make us feel really good when you guys have a chance to do that. Uh, so for myself, for Derek and Caitlin, Caitlin, Kate, I almost said Caitlin. Caitlin. I, I don't know. Is that like a, a province in Westeros or something? No, I was going to say that sounds like a Westerosi name, doesn't it? Like mm-hmm. Caitlin. Like you had cat, yeah, Kate. Well, yeah, you know. This, this sounds like a thing. I think we should develop this. I feel <laughs> well, like if I ever could... find myself sucked into Game of Thrones, I guess I can use that instead of my real name, right? This sounds like a thing, like for the uh, the Game of Thrones. Uh, I don't know prequel that they keep threatening. Like this, this sounds like a thing we could actually oh, do. Don't do that. So, oh, what a prequel! I have to keep making money. I mean, dear lord! I mean, with Westworld taking a year and a half to come out. You know, there we go. So sad. Why? I know. I know. That was so good. That was so good. Man in black, anyway. baby. Man in black. All right. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening to the podcast, and we will see you all later. See you in Tokyo. Peace out. Steal your heart. What you mean is wake up, get up, get out there. <laughs>